Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out these other coaching-focused podcasts on the Hoopheads Pod Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. You can also check out our NBA podcasts, Knock a Few Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Cavalier Central, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. All right, Coach Klump and Coach Gersten back with another episode of Beyond the Ball. Uh, afternoon edition this time, Coach. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, you know, it, it's a little gloomy down here, rainy day. Uh, we just got back from football practice and making the most of a little vacation that we get. Much, much needed vacation for all of us teachers out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think both districts are, well, we all kind of do it a little bit differently here in Western New York. So some people have a two-week break at Easter. That would be you. And then some of us have this one-week break. So technically still working today, um, but it's the end of the day and we're getting ready for uh, the end of the week and closing this thing out. Um, so we were just talking off air a little bit and just wanted to touch base now that our season is over. You know, and we're going to give ourselves a little bit of a second here to breathe and not think hoops too much. You know, you're coaching another sport. I'm doing some other stuff for my school. But eventually we're going to have to jump back into the, to our basketball teams and our programs and figure out what the next step is. And so, Coach, what are you thinking about the off season as we kind of start diving into this a little bit yeah it's an it's a great question because you know both of our both of our squads are going to be turned over big time both senior led squads a lot of uh, ball handlers that we've had for three or in your case four years um leading the charge um so you know obviously we want to have a lot of connection, get those relationships growing and, and expectations for the new guys coming up. But I think one of the most important questions that your staff and you as a coach want to ask yourself is, you know, was my style of play, um, does it, can it di- be dictated to the new group coming up? And can the, the unit or the group of guys now be successful? Or do I, I need to cultivate or does your staff need to cultivate different changes in order to make the you know individuals coming up from the JV or now stepping in set back can they be successful in the system and I think that's a very difficult um, decision to make you know um, how are you going to get these guys in a position to succeed and can they flourish in these roles yeah, I think, you know, if I take a, a quick shot at that one to start, you know, I think the hardest thing for some of us to do, and, you know, depending on who's listening to this podcast, every coach is in a different scenario, right? So sometimes we have college coaches on and they get to recruit to their to mm-hmm. their specific program. Right. They still might need to 
you know, tailor it to fit their athletes. But we also get some high level, you know, high school coaches on that, you know, they actually have tryouts every year and can kind of pick their squad as well. And then you get more into our style of coaching where we're at these smaller, you know, suburban, rural schools where we might only get 12 guys to even show up, much less have a tryout, right? So I think my approach has always been, and I just don't know any other way because I haven't had to have that experience yet, is I am so open to, you know, being able to be adaptable to what my players bring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's con- constantly a, a battle in my own brain of trying to change the system to to fit your players, but at the same time, find some level of continuity um, that passes from year to year. So style of play, um, yes, but also maybe what type of plays you run or what skill sets are coming in that you need to emphasize within your playbook. So I think it's a really profound question, and I don't know if I necessarily have the answer for that. I traditionally like to to stick with what I know and Mm -hmm. wrinkle off of that because I think as a coach, you should definitely um, teach what you know. It's very hard to really teach what you don't are, what you're not fully invested in. So, you know, I try to keep it simple and consistent from year to year and kind of wrinkle off of that a little bit. Um, But I think you're right. You connected directly to my issue um, going into next season, I lose seven seniors, seven seniors, and those seven seniors have been with me for four years. So yeah. really, really difficult scenario. What about you? What do you think? You know, I'm, I'm in the same line, and it just comes back to the point where, okay, defensive transition is the toughest thing to, to do in, in the game of basketball. How can you put pressure on uh, a group that's getting back in defensive uh, transition and how can you create this continuity where you, you can put the the guys coming up or stepping into bigger roles in a position to succeed. So it's always something, it's a, always a great conversation to have between you and your staff and, and your JV coaches and your program on, on how you want to lay the, the groundwork for it. But um, I think both you and I know that it all starts on that defensive end. So most most of the uh, principles um, and the defensive end of of the the basketball court will not change, and that's a great thing. Yeah, and I think actually a guy that we're talking to on this podcast today, I would love to pick his brain a little bit. Um, does a lot with like analytical stuff and the four factors, uh, in addition to a ton of other coaching development stuff. Um, Randy is joining us from uh, Radius Athletics, and he one of the things he'll talk about hopefully is just you know focusing on what those winning factors are. Mm-hmm. I think there's so many ways that you can win a basketball game, right? So depending on your talent, there's a variety of ways that you can run it. You notice that not everybody runs the same offense or runs the same defense. Um, but there are certain elements inside of the game and inside of your offenses that, if you have those things um, built in and emphasized, I think you can still find victories. So I think that's probably where my offseason focus is going to be. How do we achieve, you know, some of those analytical victories? Yeah, those little win- um, those little wins inside yeah, the game. Those little wins inside the game, and hopefully that will put us in a position 
you know, to win the bigger games. So uh, I'm looking forward to some offseason development for sure. I'm sure we'll talk about this more as the, the years go on and on. And uh, one real quick shout out before you get into the word for us here. Um, we had, you know, Hannah Hall on last week with this last week's episode, and she was talking about her path and, you know, what direction it's going to basketball is going to take her or not take her. And then I don't know if you caught this, but she just released like the day after we recorded um, a message saying that basically her basketball career at UB is going to be done and she's moving on to bigger and better things. So uh, we wish all the best to Hannah Hall. Yes, for sure. And it was super great that she was able to come on and join us. Um, She was a phenomenal guest. So just want to give her a shout out quick. Um, All the great karma coming from the Beyond the Ball podcast. We're (laughs) released upon her. And good luck, Hannah. Absolutely, absolutely. What about a, a a word to get us started for this uh, this great episode? Sure, sure. This is something that I think about a lot because um, you get caught up in everything that's going on in this world and, and your own personal environment. So I I always turn back to Romans twelve two, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good pleasing and perfect will you know um i just you know with so much going on you just got to take time out of your day um you know like your prime like coach allen says and part of your prime is to just kind of you know meditate on things and know that there's a greater plan for you and he's got it all under control and sometimes that what you see around you is more of just a facade and we're we're going to be moving on to much bigger and better things yeah, that's a great message to just keep um, reinstilling into your brain that, you know, in a, in a world that seems crazy sometimes and can get a little bit carried away, you know, we were just talking about, you know, to relate it to sports, we were talking about the fact that Michigan basketball for us while we're recording this loss last night and, you know, you and I being Michigan fans via Coach Beeline's years there, you know, kind of took that loss a little bit difficult, but I woke up this morning and was having a conversation with my wife and was just like, yeah, I'm disappointed. But at the end of it all, you know, it was still just a basketball game and there's a whole list of things to move on and to celebrate today. So keeping things in perspective and living out, you know, God's plan for you is the main objective. And so Mm -hmm. I think if we can keep focusing on those things, um, we're going to be in good shape. So that's what we try to do here on Beyond the Ball. Just keep plotting forward, keep uh, sharing the game. And talking to some some really really outstanding guests. So yes, I'm excited I, about today. Like it, for our for our listeners, if you haven't checked out anything from Radius Athletics, they pump out a lot of great material. I would highly suggest that you you know even a little quick little search on YouTube, and you can find pretty much anything that you want. And they do a great job. Absolutely, just opens up your thoughts on the game. So we're going to break quick, and when we come back, we'll be with Coach Randy. Hey, hoop heads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. 
That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. All right, guys, we're back from our break with uh, Coach Randy Sherman from Radius Athletics. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you guys? We're doing well. Yes, yes. Thank you, Coach, for coming on Beyond the Ball podcast. And uh, for those of our listeners out there, if you haven't checked out Radius Athletics, um, if you go into YouTube, you can search a lot of great basketball content. I highly recommend it. And, you know, Coach Sherman is the mastermind behind that. So he's going up on uh, six years of, of building Radius Athletics. So, like, where it sits right now, um, what, what do you think your mission statement here is in, in building this brand? Um, my mission statement is pretty, pretty simple. It, I, the business that I, I built, like you said, from, from the ground up is just exists to serve and grow and develop basketball coaches at all levels. It's really that simple. So coach, when you decided on this, what was your, uh, thing that got you to start pushing it out? Cause I know when Eric and I started this podcast, we are two guys that, you know, probably built for radio, but not even built for radio type <laughs> yeah. of guys. You know, this is totally a novice project for us. And it took uh-huh. a little bit of courage to, to throw ourselves out there. Um, and you're doing a phenomenal job, too. So what prompted you to kind of get into this, you know, sharing of the game and putting your stuff out on YouTube? I would say the encouragement of some former coaching colleagues. Um, I, I probably... I honestly don't know what I would be doing if it weren't for those guys. Like it was, it was, it was a couple of friends of mine ideas and they were basically, you know, we were talking and, and I wasn't even on social media. I use Twitter pretty much all day, every day now. And, and like, like, like you already mentioned YouTube and things like that. I I didn't even have a presence on any of that stuff. I was sort of, um, you know, in between careers, if you will, and searching for what I wanted to do next. Um, and a couple of my friends were like, you know, you ought to check out what what some of these basketball coaches are doing with YouTube videos and tweeting. And I didn't I didn't even know how to do any of that stuff at that time. And um, they encouraged me to do it. And I just kind of just started. And and uh, I think their encouragement is what I would owe the start to um, what I would owe the the continuation of it to would be. Um, the audience, the, the, the coaches that I instantly found a connection with using social media and things like that, um, that, 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 but the, as far as the start goes, those two guys, two coaching friends of mine who, uh, who encouraged me, like, you know, the things you did when you were coach were, were different and unique and no one else coached, you know, like you do. I, I don't know if that's true. That's their words, but, but, um, you know, you should put those ideas out there and type them up into blogs. And all of that stuff was very foreign to me at that time. I, of course, I read them and, and, but, but I didn't think of myself as a creator of that sort of content, but, um, I took, I gave it a try and, and it, and it just sort of, um, sort of went from there. That's so great. And so when your friends are telling you, you know, the way you do things with your basketball program, what is, what does that look like? And what's your, what's your background in basketball? I mean, I did a little bit of looking up some of your stuff, but how, how did your coaching career kind of start? Um, how long did it last? How did you develop it? Where did these ideas come from? All right. Well, let's start with where it started. I, I, I'm from Texas. You can maybe tell from my accent, but, uh, 
I, I grew up in, in, in the Texas part of Texas, meaning the rural part of the state, not the state, not, the, not one of the big cities that's just kind of not really so uh, like, like Texas anymore. But, but um, I grew up in rural Texas, small town where you played sports. The, the, your, your, your coaches were also your classroom teachers, and they were like heroes to me. And and really, in in small town rural Texas, playing football, basketball, running track, um, those guys next to my father were the biggest influences in my life. So, you know, you kind of become what you see around you in a lot of ways. So, I would say that that I owe my start in coaching. Like I, I, that, just seemed like that that was a job for someone who loved sports and loved 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 competing and and that's that's what I went to college to do and and sat out to, and and set out to do um I coached high school basketball for 11 years um I um coached mostly on the girls side um as a head head varsity coach for 10 of those 11 years and um and you know, I left the profession to kind of pursue some other business opportunities that were related to sports and athletics, but um, uh, kind of um, found my way back into basketball doing this, I guess you could say. But, but you know, I got into coaching just based on the environment of my childhood, really. Yeah, that's great stuff. Um, and when you were coaching um, defensively, were you a man-to-man coach? Um, is it a two-three, a one-three-one? Uh, I was just trying to interesting and pick your brain about like how as some individuals were responsive, like no one else coached exactly like you coached, and just trying to figure out what they meant by that. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of things they might have meant by that. I, I don't think it was that unique, but to them it was. But uh, but. I was a man-to-man coach mostly, uh, with a little bit of two-three zone experience, but but mostly man-to-man. And I guess that that would be something that maybe some might say was unique in our style of man-to-man was very aggressive, very um, very um, you know. I guess the defining characteristic would be the you know off-ball denials, um, you know. That 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 sort of thing was 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 with wasn't it wasn't sort of a defensive style of man to man. It was more of a an aggressive style of man to man that that I touched. Now it gets called pressure man to man. I didn't call it that at the time. It just was just man to man to me. But um, but now it gets called pressure man to man. So I've just sort of leaned into that moniker and 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 call it that now. When coaches ask me what what kind of defense that I taught it, that that would be my answer um you know the 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 reason being was to 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 one to be disruptive to our opponent's offense to sort of take them out of take them out of their um well rehearsed patterns and plays and things like that and and make them sort of play in more of like a in more of like a street fight style of game where you're, you're no rules, no, you know, no, you're, you're out of your comfort zone and, and all that's been stripped away. Can you still play or not? Um, another, another bent to it. Uh, another angle to look at it too was, was to, um, you know, increase our opponent's turnovers so we could play off of live ball turnovers and generate, you know, convert convert defense to offense and and generate some shots we could make layups things like that and, and with numbers advantages. So, 
I'd, I'd say that would be um, how I would describe the way we played man-to-man defense. And coach, I'm going to follow up in there, which is great. One of the things we always talk about is, and actually we were just talking about Eric and I in our intro about style of play and changing from year to year based on your talent. Is that something that, well, two-part question, I guess. Number one, do you feel like you coached that system or that style because that's what you did as a player? Or is that something you kind of fell in love with after the fact? And then number two, did you just kind of implement that every year or is that something you kind of fluctuated year to year and kind of altered your system? Great question. So I'll start with the first one. I, I kind of, I would say yes to that was the style of man to man that the, when I played high school basketball, that was taught by my coach. Now I've got to be fully honest. I was not a good player. I played one year on the varsity was more into football and track and field and was like one of the better athletes in the school. So the coaches obviously want to get the best athletes out there. Um, so, but I, I was not a gym rat, like a lot of coaches I've, I've talked to now. Um, I, I talk to coaches all day, every day now. And most of them are your archetype gym rat who, you know, maybe they were the son of a coach. They played basketball, maybe even, you know, at a small college or something they lived. That was not me. So, um, I, I would not describe myself as a good basketball player, just a good athlete. Um, and when I was a, a young, a young man, um, but as a player, we were taught a pressure style of man to man by our coach. So I, I kind of knew that going in, but, uh, maybe took it a little bit further in a little bit different direction than my high school coach did. I would say secondly, I did it mainly because it just sort of fits my personality like as a, as a, as a, as a coach and a competitor of, of, you know, more of an aggressive mindset than sort of like a mindset of, of, um, you know, laying on the ropes and, and taking punches instead of throwing them. Right. So, uh, I would say that that, that, that's another input into why I did that to answer your other question. Um, I, I would probably describe the way I coached as not fit to your personnel type coach. I, we just went ahead and did the things and that I wanted to do and, and um, just got better at them as we went along. Um, so the pressure man-to-man was something that we did program-wide when I was a head coach, um, at least through ninth grade, if not down into the middle schools and junior highs, to where um, you know our players develop the mentality, the at the the physical abilities, uh, the stamina, the conditioning to play that way was just something that we felt we needed to do program wide to get it to the level we wanted to get it to. Yeah, that, I mean that's such a good answer. I think a lot of coaches, you know, would would be willing to consider you know, different ways of doing things based on your talent. And that's something that we've heard all throughout this COVID off season of, you know, coaching to your talent, but at the same time, having some guiding principles. One of the things that I would say, cause I did grow up playing basketball. Like I wasn't an all-star college player either, but what I would ask for you um, just to get your perspective on is because you weren't necessarily that quote unquote gym rat and maybe just more of just a coach, do you think that has given you the ability to kind of step back 
and be more adaptable and more willing to take in like new basketball concepts. Cause I feel like as a player, I played varsity for three years, but my whole system of coaching was kind of cemented in because you know, you, you're, you are in the gym a bunch and you do start to fully believe in what you were doing to be successful, even though that might not the only, be the only way to be successful. Do you think the, the path that you took kind of allows you to be a little bit more receptive to new and different ideas? I do. I think I call what you're describing absorbed knowledge. Like we have, you know, if you've grown up around the game, it's, it's uncanny how many coaches I've talked to who are, who are the son, sons of coaches, right? Their dad was a coach. They're, they're, it's in their family and it's it, they have absorbed knowledge. A lot of that knowledge uh, is sort of born in tradition, right? Like like it's like the way it's always been done. To use that 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 quote, you know, um, I don't have a lot of that. I didn't begin my coaching career with a lot of that. In fact, the basketball coaching for me just wasn't really something I even thought initially I was going to do. I knew I wanted to be a coach, but I thought. My intention was more to be a, a football, probably, I really wanted to be a track and field coach, but in Texas, that means you're also a football coach in the fall. So, so um, that, that was kind of where I thought I was going to go with my career. And when I was in my student teaching, I ended up helping out the, the, a, a, a girls basketball coach who was kind of short staffed and was like, hey, you know, if you want to just get some experience coaching, come help me. And I was like, okay, you know, and, and that, that's when I went a different path. It wasn't really my intention. But to answer your question, I think there is quite a lot of absorbed knowledge. So when a coach hears something unconventional or, or a, a, an approach or attack that's a little bit different than their absorbed knowledge, they, they first have to like sort of unlearn what they've learned and absorbed and then relearn a whole different way. Like I talked to a ton of coaches who've been coaching a long time who are just full of basketball knowledge, but the some of the ideas that I share because they are a little maybe a little unconventional um, is like feels unfathomable to them at first. So so um, but it's not for lack of knowledge; it's for just lack. It's it's like they they've got almost too much traditional knowledge to look at the game through a different lens. Can you give us an example of that? Like, like what what is new in the game of basketball that is that is not allowing, like I say, a traditional coach to to kind of move forward? Is it something like the two sided break? Is it something like uh, you know all the ball screens coming in? What do you what would your answer be? I think I think one thing it would be would be just sort of like um, you know playing through you you run an action maybe your your team comes down the court. And, and they said, I don't know, something like a drag ball screen, right? Like just a, a drag ball screen in transition. You might, or not, you might or might not score on that. Like you might not drive it to the basket off the screen or hit the roller. But really you're running it to do what? You're running it to collapse the defense. And then you kick it to a player who has an advantage on the catch. And then sort of like the coaching air quotes part is over. And, and now it's a decision-making phase of the possession to where, you know, that guy shoots it if no one closes him out. If he does, we pass it one more time. And if no one closes him out, he shoots it or drives it again. And the, and the game just sort of takes like, like, like we surrender control of maybe who gets the shot or where that advantage ultimately lands. That's, that's one thing. Um, I think another thing that, that I did, especially in the last 
handful of years as as a head coach is we didn't call plays. We didn't have any plays, none, zero. So um, we we had um, principles, offensive principles, and offensive, um, uh, you know, like spacing and and things like that 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 we coached more so than plays. So that that that's a hard that's a hard paradigm for some coaches who have a lot of absorbed knowledge of all these offenses that have, you know, made their way through the basketball community in the past, in their coaching lifetimes to sort of like let go of that. And they feel like, like that. So it, it's a matter of, of, of just aligning yourself with someone who has coached that way to teach you kind of how to do it and, and what makes it possible. Yeah. So coach, I'm going to follow up on that. So when we say, you know, what makes it possible, I'm sitting here listening to you and in a perfect world, like as a player, I would have loved to have played that way. Totally did not play that way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my, my former, nor, high did, school, I. <laughs> nor yeah, did I, yeah. right. Most don't right. From, from a, a, a previous generation, and my coach would even always say, you know, even to this day as a mentor, like, when they're playing fast, he's like, I, he's like, we can't play, we can't let them play that fast. Cause you know, they're, they're out of control <laughs> and it's kind of, yes, I understand that philosophy, but it's also, they also have to learn how to play fast so they can make better decisions in it. What would be, you know, if you had to give some advice to, to coaches trying to move in that direction, what would be some advice that, to, that you would give to kind of implement that and change that mindset? Yeah, my first bit of advice and really my only bit of advice would be you you got to start before you're ready. You you just do. Like like Steve Jobs didn't know everything about computers when he launched Apple. The, Jeff Bezos didn't know anything about shipping books when he started Amazon. You you just got to start. That's that's 9 tenths of it right there. Just get with someone who can teach you how to do it. I do this with a lot of coaches, but if it's not me, somebody who can teach you kind of maybe what you maybe need to know as a coach. But the, but the real bottom line is you just got to start. You can't be like, well, you know, if I want, you know, maybe when those fifth graders who are really good get up here, we'll do that. Or maybe when, you know, I'll get some really good guards like, yeah, it looks good for them because they've got all these great players, but not us because, you know, you just got to start probably before you feel you're ready. That'd be my only advice. That's really good advice. And so part of that, you just said that, you know, I found interesting. You say you do mentor coaches a little bit and correct me if I'm wrong. I recall calling it ramp. Is correct. that what I see? Yes. So why don't you fill us in a little bit about that and how you're helping coaches out? What is that all about? Yeah. So when I began, you know, sharing basketball information, like, like you guys mentioned in, in the podcast, you guys started this podcast for you know, not knowing really where it was going to go. And, and, and I, I can identify with that. Um, when I started sharing basketball information, I, I never really thought it would be like a job or a business. Um, but as I began to get some questions and feedback and emails, like, well, explain that to me, or what do you mean by that? And I would get, you know, DMs and things like that from coaches. Uh, I, I kind of saw an opportunity to, to, um, give my time, not, you know, back as, as in, in almost like a professional manner and create a business out of the demand for, for kind of the, the, you know, teaching how the information I was sharing to other coach want to learn how to teach that to their team. So 
I just sort of like formalized that um, into a program where I mentor coaches. Ramp is just simply put radius athletics mentoring program where I help coaches and, and kind of just help them through this journey if they're interested. And if they're not interested in playing in a more conceptual, you know, wide open style like this, I'd I, I help them also just with, you know, get better at, at what they, at they, what, what they want to do as coaches. Yeah. When you're laying the groundwork for that program, Randy, what are the first couple of things that you want them to know? Um, I want them to know the, the first thing I want them to know and be able to answer is, is as a coach, how would I like to, to see my team play the game? Write that down. We we do a, a, an exercise that we call game modeling, where where we create sort of an outline using the four four phases of basketball. Whether you know basketball is played in a cycle, right? Of transition offense to offense to transition defense to defense, and and we sort of use that as our outline for a coach to answer that question: How would I like my teams to look and to play? What qualities would I like them to exhibit? And I really challenge coaches to maybe if do your best as you can to block out the, the I, I found this is a much better question to ask a coach when they're between jobs or unemployed, right? Like, like do your best to block out the idea of like, well, I'd like, this is how I'd like to play, but these seven returning lettermen I have really aren't, you know, I, I'm going to do this because of them, right? Um, I'm going to do something else because of them. So really what I want them to be able to do would be as a person, as a coach, like even think of like if I want to watch a game on television, like, you know, there are certain teams that I enjoy watching and some that I don't, you know, like, like what type of team do you enjoy watching? Like what, what that, that, those are the, 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 the questions that I think are prerequisite to putting a whistle around your neck that ought to be answered <laughs> that, that, bef- that from a coach. So I, I speak to a lot of coaches who've spent years, sometimes decades coaching the game, but really have spent all of those years responding to the hand they were dealt rather than picking their cards. Okay. So, so, um, great response. so that, that, that'd be the first question that we work on answering is you coach. How would you love to, like, if you could sit down on your bench and watch your team play and, and just be nodding your head and going, yeah, that's what I want it to look like. What Describe that to me. That's, that's our first exercise. Coach, so good. So I'm going to kind of maybe parlay this in because on social media, a lot of what we've been getting out of you the last little bit here, especially through the tournament has been like this conversation about the four factors. Yeah. And so if you could, for some of our listeners, they're going to know some aren't, uh, maybe just give a brief overview of what your take on the four factors are, like what they are and, and how you see it as an influencer in the style of basketball that your team would play. Okay. Great question. So, First, let me say the four factors are not anything that I came up with, or yeah, or, right. or that it 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 comes from a book that was probably written maybe back into the '90s, possibly I can't remember exactly when it was uh, published. But uh, Dean Oliver, who now works for the Washington Wizards, is a is a 
person who sort of took data and 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 basketball and blended them together and and he did a study using thousands and thousands and thousands of NBA games and stats and and turned it into a book called Basketball on Paper. And basically the short version of that book is there are four factors which which impact winning and those are effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, offensive rebounding percentage and the free throw factor. Um so if you think about a game, how is it won or lost? Well, you 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 score you don't when you have the ball. Your opponent scores or they don't when they have the ball. If you can force a turnover, that's great because they don't even get a shot attempt. If you do if your offense does have a shot attempt and you miss it, we'd like to maintain possession of the ball by rebounding that shot. And those are the things that drive winning. So um and the book goes into I'm not a math guy either, so like I, I'm not I, I like picked my major in college so I could avoid math classes. So so like like I'm not a math guy, but I do kind of understand this and, and to a certain degree and but but um yeah, those are the four factors. How it how it drives performances on the court it has a lot to do it it can it can it 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 informs our decisions in that basically it's all these numbers and how they impact winning and losing throughout the history of basketball are backward looking like like they're not trying to make a prediction it's just looking back at all the games that have been played put the stats into a spreadsheet and and here's what determined who won you know and and so it's kind of like if you you can deny it if you want but you sound kind of silly right cuz it's just math and it's not doesn't have an opinion um so it it informs our decisions about a lot of things one for me uh, effective field goal percentage um speaks to our offensive efficiency and what are the most efficient shots those are layups catch and shoot three point attempts uh, i shouldn't say layups let me let me clean up that language shots near the rim not always just a uncontested layup but shots near the rim threes and free throws so that's what we're we're playing toward so um we our offenses that 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 I want to run or that I that that the coaches I work with now seem to be most interested in are those offenses that that yield a high you know most of the shots uh that that their teams attempt would fall into those categories Um, and that's and that seems to be the trend, right? That's a that's a European trend. That's an NBA trend. It's starting to become a college trend as well, right? Definitely, and and it's and it's a trend for a reason because it's supported by yeah, data, data, and mm-hmm. and it's supported by um, it. You know, it's supported by evidence. It's not just you know a style. It's a it's it 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 should be shaping your opinions. Yeah, absolutely. So within that, then, if, if I could, like um, Eric Klump, coach here, and I are are Michigan fans a little bit, and so last night Michigan lost to UCLA, and I think I saw a tweet on there about the four factors about how Michigan won three of them, but lost one of them. Correct, the turnover percentage, but lost that big. So I think when talking about style of play, are there any factors that? maybe you would deem like more important than others or how does that work? Do well, you think? Th- again, not, not that I would deem 
I, I just read the book. So, <laughs> right, so, right. Um, so not that I would deem, but, but, sure. but what the game deems, not, not me, not even the author of that. I mentioned Dean Oliver basketball on paper yeah. deems the game deems not, no, this right. isn't, this isn't no one's opinion. This is, has yeah, nothing yeah. to do with, this is what I think or whatever. The, yeah, I appreciate that clarification. Yeah, That's great. Thank the you. The game deems that effective field goal percentage is the, the, the highest correlate to winning and losing, followed by turnover percentage, followed by offensive rebounding percentage, followed by the free throw factor. The weightings are a little bit different from NBA down to college, but the order doesn't same. It, it doesn't really change. Um, but so, so um Again, that's not my opinion. That's just inform. That's putting all the, the data that's ever been collected about basketball into a supercomputer, and that's what you get. So, um, that 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 is uh, that. I guess to answer your question, effective field goal percentage would be would be tops on the list. And and what I should clarify is when I say winning effective field goal percentage, there's not there's not um, you know, I just need to be better than my opponent in that category on a given night. Like there's, right. you know, you know, there's some teams like Gonzaga's whose effective field goal percentage right now is astronomically high and they're winning games. And, and then there's University of Houston who doesn't really have a really sexy offense that has a high effective field goal percentage, but they're really good on defense. So they're still winning effective field goal percentage compared to their opponents. And their right? offensive rebounding percentage too for Houston. Correct. Yeah, they're really driving that up, which is um which is important to them. Um yeah, so the winning effective field goal percentage is is tops. If you can win that plus another factor, be any of the other three really, you really put yourself in good position to win a game. And do you see that like particular offenses are have dictated themselves around these four factors, like maybe say the continuity ball screen, or is it just kind of something that we see trickled down from the NBA down to the high school level? Yeah, I think I think that that um, offenses that that are uh, that that you know their their coaching staffs are informed by this information are are starting to. You know, I don't want to oversimplify it, but like where where you see players stand is different on, you know, like deep corners, higher, wider, things like that versus like a bunched up team from the 90s. Right. Like because like how can we get to the rim if my own teammates are in the way how, and how can we hit threes, which which those are the two most efficient shots. How can we do that when like I can't even drive the lane to collapse the defense? And when I do, you're standing inside the three-point line so so really when you see when you I, I use the word positioning I try to draw a distinction between positioning and spacing um, you see teams with great positioning what they're what they're trying to do is create co- court conditions a, an environment on the court which makes attempting these efficient shots possible yeah, I think watching Gonzaga the last couple of weeks does a great job of that because when you say spacing, typically you think spread out as far as you can possibly get from each other. And that's not always the case for Gonzaga, right? They're sometimes, you know, their spacing doesn't look great, but their positioning is absolutely lethal. Um, do you think the spacing positioning conversation um, is something that 
coaches are striving to make as simple as possible for their athletes. I know you said, for example, coming down earlier, you want to get maybe into a drag ball screen and then just kind of play off of those, those actions, the driving kick. Do you think offenses are getting more and more simple or do you think that's dependent on level? Because a lot of people, other basketball friends that I have will say like the NBA, they'll say, oh, those guys, you know, they don't play a lot of defense and the offense is one-on-one. And if you really dive into even NBA basketball, it's so much more intricate in terms of what you were saying was positioning, but it's also super, it's not super simple. It's just, there's, there's some reads there to take advantage of the defense. Is, is there a thought there for you, Randy? And I don't know um, if I was very clear with my question. I apologize. Yeah, I would say that, that there is a bit of a simplification going on. Like one thing that I hear about NBA, and, and I, I don't always agree with it, but, you know, like, the, like some of the takes you, you explain, like they don't play any defense and like that, that's hogwash. Like that's, that's right. not true. Like, totally. That, yeah, that, but, 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 um, you know, and, and so, but one thing that is a critique of the NBA that I will say, um, you know, you hear someone say, well, they kind of all look alike. Like all the teams sort of look alike. Like they, they, they got four, maybe five guys standing outside the three point line. And, 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 um, I, I will agree to that. And the reason they all look alike is because they're all trying to get the same shots because they're the most efficient shots. So, um, you know, I would make the analogy of like, like there might be a coach in the NBA. They're really kind of all gone now. And like all the, the, the franchises that, that, that were clinging to the pre-information age, you know, coach speak stuff just fell to the bottom of the, the rank, the, you know, the standings and, and, you know, cleaned house. And now they, they, they've had to, You've had to modernize, right? So it, that that they, that's had to happen in that that's a business. You, you can't lose. You have to at least try to win, right? And um, so what I, the 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 analogy I would make would be: there might be an NBA team who's still playing an old-fashioned way. There's not, but let's hypothesize that there were, right? And they're good players. They're in, they're professional players, and like you know they're. They're taking little elbow jumpers and and maybe they're going in or they're 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 taking you know when a player drives and kicks he's kicking to a player that's standing at 18 feet instead of 23 feet nine inches and and he makes that shot and it goes in so they're they're good players but but their strategy is is antiquated so so like they're doing the strategy okay right but their opponents are playing a different sport than them so almost think of like a football team. In, in a sport of football, if, if I get the ball and we drive the, the field and, and we, end, we end with a field goal, three points, you get the ball, you drive the field and score a touchdown, <laughs> it's seven to three. We both, we both had the ball one time and we both scored, right? So we're both doing football good, correct? Okay, I get it again, I'd go, another field goal. You get it again, another touchdown. It's 14 to six now, right? We keep... You, if 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 um, there's there's one team who you know who's who's getting more points per possession for for the, when they have the ball right so um, the, the problem with say some of the more antiquated organizations at the NBA that were slow to modernize is they were they didn't have bad basketball players they maybe they did but but like and there's they're they're you know the guys on the New York Knicks for example aren't not not bad players right they're 
they're they're they're just not able to keep up if they're not playing this play. They're kick they're kicking field goals. Everyone else is scoring touchdowns. Yeah, they almost have to be more efficient at what they do than the other team. You know, as Bills fans here up in the Buffalo area, I think, right, Coach Klump, we saw that when our Bills played the Kansas City Chiefs. Right. We were constantly Two, two teams with the same exact approach, but one was doing it. Way better, Way better right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we we were complaining in the first half because we were kicking field goals and they were going for touchdowns, and you could just feel the game running away. I, I yeah. totally love that analogy. Yeah, so, so I think – you know, people sometimes dismiss analytics as, as oh, that's just taking a bunch of three-point shots. Well, that, that's not the case. The, the, what, I would, would, what I tell coaches is what we would love is for 100% of our shot attempts to come at the rim. But that, that's, let's just be real. That's not happening. Like a team is going to protect the paint. They're going to protect the rim, right? But, okay, when they do do that, what penalty, what penalty do they pay for doing that? And that needs to be three-point attempt. So it's really simple as that for, for building an offense around the numbers. Would be create court conditions that allow our players at least the, the, uh, uh, a favorable environment for attempting to score at the rim. And make the defense defend that prime real estate like inside the charge circle, below the volleyball line on a high school court, like they have to defend that. They have to, you know, rotate a helper over, or, or uh, you know, someone helps off their man to protect me from driving down the lane line to the to the basket. The, they they that's their choice. I don't get to decide that. I don't coach their team. I coach mine. So we're trying to score at the rim. If they let us, continue to do that, right? That's and and when they don't let us, then the ball goes out, and that and that's their penalty for making that decision. So that it's 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 to kind of tie it back to your original question is is offense becoming simpler? I think it is um, because co- more and more coaches and organizations are are seeing the game in this manner that that we 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 are attempting to penetrate you. You will contract as a defense, and 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 um, when you do, the penalty for doing that is at least a three point attempt. Which brings us to another point of the conversation would be the premium skill now in basketball is shooting. Because when we go to the rim, right, and we kick it out and it goes to somebody who can't shoot, we're in trouble. We got to put, we, we, we have to be able to pay that proposition off with a score. Right. So now it's going to be interesting to see how the defense counterpunches these, this, this punch and spray sort of technique and the analytics. Like I know, I know I saw Porter, Porter Mosier communicating on his culture wall that they don't want to help on the same side and it's just bluff help and it's just, and, and their, their rotations are different. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that's the, that's the new sort of way that these defenses are going to counterpunch that. Yeah, and and again, you asked me at the beginning of this conversation what defensive style that I taught, which, and even way back when I didn't know it then because these numbers weren't really talked about like this. But like that that made sense to me even then, as just just something in me that made sense to me even then that like so so how defenses are beginning to counterpunch, like you mentioned, not helping ball side and rotating a little bit different to where. 
if if we're going to help, it needs to come from the help side and any pass, we're increasing the difficulty of the pass to get it to the player we're having to leave open because we help. That's the way we rotate it in our pressure man. So just imagine maybe like for you and your listeners, imagine like maybe like a four out offense with with the ball on say the right lane line extended, what I call the slot, maybe the post diagonal from that, and then we're four out. And the player drives it down the, down the lane line like he's going to drive it for a, a right-hand layup. You with me? Okay. There's a guy on the garden playing the strong side corner. We're not helping off of him. No chance. No way. We're helping maybe over from the post. Who, but who's then the guarding. five gets a bucket. And, and well, then we got to cover down with the guy guarding the other wing on the other side. So the only player open when we drive the ball is the hardest one to find is the skip to the opposite side. So, you know, like for me, I coached on the, on the girls side and, and um, that, that's just a really tough pass to make. Even, I mean, Steve Nash made it look easy, right? But like I'm driving and I'm and a lot of times you have to leave your feet. We call it, actually, we call this pass a jump skip because you kind of have to leave your feet to find that skip player. Um, a lot of times that ends up in row six of the bleachers. Um, the, the player trying to catch it looks more like a soccer goalkeeper than a basketball player just trying to save it from going out of bounds, right? So, um, so, but that's a very tough pass to make and execute while you're driving. And, and um, so I think what you'll see more def- – you already are seeing it. This is how the whole NBA helps now. No, you know, you're just not going to help off of a, a strong side – one, what we call helping one pass away or helping off ball side. But, and, and more and more colleges are doing it. And the coaches I work with, some of them in high school level are even doing it. Uh, that, um, you know, like you see a, a high school player drive it down that lane line, leave their feet, make a jump skip. That, that's a pretty good guard who does that, right? But like my 10th JV girl could drive it down the lane line, you help off the corner and pass it to the girl right there. Like that's not hard. So that's Coach. an easy – so we what we wanted to do when a player does attempt to crack our shell defensively is like, okay, now they the, as good as it gets for them now is a two-point attempt. And if they do hit that that skip pass, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll figure it out then. But But they're going to have to make that pass. It just speaks, Coach, I think, to definitely defensively being even more connected and having all those things that coach, the coach speak, right? Communication and rotations uh, just have to get a, even a little bit better. Not to change it because, Coach, I could, I'm, I got my, my pencil scribbling yeah. right now, taking I mean, down some wicked crazy notes. I feel like I'm taking advantage of the ramp program here. That's okay. That's okay. Um, we got room uh, for both of you guys if you want. All right, to yeah, yeah. It, it might be happening very quickly here. We coach and I coach against each other, so okay. I know that if I'm taking notes, Coach Klump is probably taking double the amount of notes that I've already taken. So yeah. I want to make sure I get them straight. But <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, Coach. So a couple other things I wanted to touch base because we've kept you for a little bit here. I don't want to take up too that's much fine. of your time, but. Um, just real quickly. So talking about simplifying of offense and you had mentioned drag screen earlier. What are your thoughts on like language that coaches are using? Because one of the things I've found, and I don't know necessarily if you've seen this as well, but, 
Um, a lot of times when these, with these new concepts, I'll go in and I'll talk to my old varsity coach and, you know, some other basketball mentors that I have mm -hmm. that are a little mm -hmm. older and I'll use some of these new terms that are out there, um, in a variety of topics. Right. And they'll say, well, what are you talking about? Because the language changes a little bit. Do you think that that's a, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you don't see that, but I feel like some of the terminology for some things is new. Do you think that's uh, relabeling of old things, or do you think some of these new ways of describing stuff um, actually are presenting new concepts? Um, mostly the, mostly the, the former, mostly, mostly, um, mostly giving things that have existed already a name that maybe the coach thinks is more creative, more, more sticky to their players, something that that's maybe more descriptive. Um, and you know, an, 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 an improvement maybe in their mind that to, to help it resonate with their players better. Um, every now and then I see something that's that, that, that might be termed new, but, you know, maybe someone's seen that before and I just, just, it's just that I haven't like, so, um, but yeah, the language to me, what, what I tried to, to use with language was, was descriptive terms that, that, that will, will stick, that paint a picture that, um, that the players and I, and, our, and within our culture, within our community as a team can kind of speak and and be on the same page with so descriptive language something that that you know maybe is is some sort of analogy or some sort of like like that 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 it's really going to turn a light bulb on is what i was seeking for and things like that so um yeah i, I think it's mostly probably um an attempt by that coach or, or the basketball community to come up with a better name, which I'm all for that. Like if there's a, a name that makes it more descriptive, more, uh, more retainable by athlete, by all means, you know? Yeah. And I guess I just asked because first of all, I love what you got, you and, uh, Tony put on, you know, social media with fast model and all the diagrams and stuff. And I think sometimes when I'm reading through it, I mean, I'm a curious person by nature anyway. So I'm constantly seeking out like the names of different screens and the names of different actions. And sometimes I'm looking at it and I, I see a name that a coach will call it. And I wouldn't necessarily call it that because I that's not part of my vocabulary. So yeah, you learned I, it I under just a think to myself, name. like, is this a, a new thing or is this the old thing? Um, and it's just kind of sometimes difficult wading through through the vocabulary. So I just was wondering your take no, on I, that. I agree with that. I see the same thing all the time, like a different name. And I'll look at the diagram and go like, oh, that I call that this, you know, and that's OK. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. just like, you know. In Texas, we call everything a Coke. Even if it's Dr. Pepper or Pepsi, I'll call it pop or soda or something yeah, like that. Do. Right? Yes. Different. Same thing, different name, you know. So, Randy, my last question for you here as we, we – and then thank you so much for your time is um, when you're pushing out some content, is there some – maybe let's just like – let's talk like offensively. 
Is there um, a certain offense that you're like, wow, this is a really efficient offense. It does not get enough credit or more people should be running this stuff. Like maybe say like a traditional flex or some more Princeton style um, concepts. Have you ever came across that where you're pushing out information? You're like this, this doesn't get ran enough, I believe. Um, I'm not real big on like trying to find like, better like this is better than that or this is this is what you should be doing like i i i think that that's 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 kind of a a, a journey uh, that too many coaches are all just stay on right mm-hmm. like like yeah. find, trying to find you know this this trying to constantly sort of uncover something that you know no one else is doing or more people should be doing i i really don't look at the game like that i i i I, um, I would say if there, you know, and I don't even like the word should, I've tried to break my habit of saying should like, so anytime I catch myself wanting to say, well, I think more coaches should blankety blank, blank, blank. Right. I I try to catch myself from doing that because one, I'm not the arbiter of what coaches should or shouldn't be doing. But two, I think it would, I think it's stronger to say if more coaches would do blank, I predict this would happen. You know what I'm saying? So instead of saying like, I think more coaches should run whatever offense, turn that around and say, I predict that if more coaches ran whatever offense, their efficiency would improve, their shots selection would clean up or whatever. So that that's more the way I approach it. Um, you know, I, I'm very careful about um, – endorsing an offense like 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 yeah i I don't i'm I'm not being evasive in my answer to you i'm just very careful about like saying yeah more coaches ought to run this particular offense and the reason why is because there's there's going to be examples of that um there's going to be examples out there you know okay in the basketball universe of a team doing it successfully and teams doing it unsuccessfully so I don't I just think like chasing down constant X and O changes and in you know all that stuff is really kind of aiming at the bullseye of the wrong target. Yeah, phenomenal answer. So coach, so Eric finished up here and I I now kind of bring this to a close a little bit. Um what do you think cuz Eric and I jumping into this podcasting thing, we definitely use some video footage different systems like Synergy and Huddle. Um, what two-parter here, number one, what do you foresee like the use of tech? Obviously it's helped you grow, you know, your influence in, in your business. Yeah. Uh, what, what influence do you see technology continuing to have? And that can be kind of a shorter response to this bigger question. Where do you see your uh, future going with this? Is this something that you, you developing more of a plan? You're just kind of taking it as it comes. What's your approach? So to answer your first question, I would say, I see just more and more, um, there, there'll be more and more usage of technology to the, 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 uh, the motive of most of it will be to make your life easier as a coach, to make you a more informed decision maker, to make you a more informed coach in terms of like 
you know, knowing what's working and what's not and knowing what we're good at and where we need to improve. I, I do think that's a benefit. And um, there's going to be technology for everything that you can think of in, and it's only going to make its way into coaching. So I, I, I don't see that slowing. Um, I would say that like the amount of information that, that is out there now that a coach can access obviously has its benefits. Um, you know, now if I want to learn something, I don't have to get in my, like when I first began coaching in the mid nineties, if I wanted to learn how to run somebody's offense or learn more about a certain defense, I had to get in my car and drive to like a clinic where I might hear what I was looking for. I might not. I had no way of knowing whether I would before I left for that clinic. Um, now that information can be found from your phone, you know, like, so there's, there's, there's just so much more information now that, that coaches can, can access and technology is only going to, to put more information out there because that we've now figured out a way to monetize that information. So that's only going to grow. The warning I always give coaches is um, that the, if you want to separate yourself from, from the coaching crowd, from your competition, you, you guys mentioned you want to coach, you, you coach against one another, correct? I predict, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice my own preaching here. I predict the, the, that, that, that the one of you who stops doing all the information seeking first is going to have better results with their program. The ability to focus in the next coming decades and stuff like that, the ability to focus as a coach amid all this information is going to be the true superpower. Like, like information is not power. Synthesis of information is. And if all you're doing is consuming information and not synthesizing and not taking it, taking what's usable, like, like you're, you're not, you're not performing the job of coaching by watching clinics all summer. You're not performing the job of coaching by studying X's and O's and watching film. That, that's you sitting at a laptop, just basically scratching an obsession of yours. You're, on, you're performing the job of coaching when you're between those lines with your team. And there's only so much information that can be relayed, thus executed by your team. So the, in the coming decades, the coaches that can focus when everyone else is unfocused, that's a separator. Coach, and if I could add on to that, so powerful. Um, we're going to start focusing today, Eric, so you can wait till tomorrow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think the other piece to that, in all seriousness, I, I love the way that you just framed that. And what I would add to that too, and you kind of did mention it, is when you're between the lines, and this has become a popular thing as well, is it's the relationships that are being built. You know, we've been talking, seeing a lot on the news lately about the transfer portal, you know, and these college kids leaving and, you know, this argument, maybe if it isn't even an art, if it is even an argument of, you know, is it the coaches or is it the players? And I would say the answer to that is yes, right? Both sides have a role to play in that. And so, yes, maybe focus on synthesizing that information, but also how are you it's just like teaching. Eric and I are both educators in that same vein as, as you were or are. And 
it's not about how much we know it's about how much the kids walk out the door with right and how much they can actually perform and so i think that's super powerful education or teaching across any platform whether it's in the classroom or in life or on the on the court yeah or the field is so huge yeah i know a lot of coaches um who maybe weren't or aren't or weren't on on the level like maybe i was with with x's and o's and strategy and and uh they they just they, but they had a really knack had a have a really good knack for for um r- relationships with their players you know good positive interactions the players loved loved that coach that coach probably couldn't tell you you know all the, you described all these modern new terms and stuff like that they probably couldn't tell you five of them like you know like they they just um they they but they created a good environment for for basketball in their school or their their university or whatever um so yeah that that's a domain that that um that i think is under appreciated and understudied and how 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 are how are championship co- cultures built you know i was talking to a coach this morning uh, um in a one-on-one session and a coach that's in my mentoring program. And, and he, he's, he had a great season. Um, but he's kind of like at a school that's really not had good seasons in the past and he's doing a good job there and he's bringing them up to a competitive level that they've not been. And, and, um, he mentioned that, you know, we were talking about sort of like the qualities of his competition, the, the schools he's competing against, the schools that are eliminating him from the playoffs. And now that he's reached a new level, and, you know, one thing I observed as a coach and, and observed still to this day is it's kind of the same teams every year win, win it, right? Like the same, especially at the high school level, like in Texas where I coached, you tell me what class, class 4A, 3A, 2A, you know, give me 10 tries, I could pick the final four. Easy. I can tell you who it's going to be before the season even starts. And I've been out of coaching for a long time. It's, it's these traditional towns or programs that have, you know, a a a a program that's that's what you need to copy not and he was talking about i'm going to call one of those coaches and ask him about their offense i was like you know that's cool do that but really what i i would say to to the the, that's the more important question to ask those coaches who have one of those traditional powers that that you know guys graduate they they put in three or four new starters and they win 25 more games the next year with you know like you could ask them about what they're running and stuff like that, but that's not why they're winning. Why they're winning is is their alignment from seventh grade up to twelfth grade. Their their gyms never locked. Their um their you know on the weekends their kids are coming up to the gym and playing pickup games. And there's a hoop in every driveway. Like like how do you get your sub varsity staff to kind of teach the same way you do? Like those are the questions to really ask. And I think those aren't asked enough. And I think that just like thinking that it's all about the, like the next DVD I buy or the next clinic I watch is going to unlock my program is just chasing the wrong trail. So I, I think that that's that's what I always encourage coaches is like it, it might not be a strategic change that needs to be made. It might not be have anything to do with exosos. It could be what you just what you just asked me about, and it could be like we've got to come together better as a as a 
as a community around basketball and, and have a stronger culture and play for one another better. I'm not an expert in that field. I did not do self-admittedly. I, I did not do the best job in that, in that realm as a coach when I was actually coaching. I, 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 that, that sort of just went unaddressed and it just sort of evolved how it was going to evolve. And that wasn't always good. Man, Coach, I just wanted to thank you for your time today because this has just been outstanding. I, like Justin said, I've got like three or four pages of notes, but in these last two answers, really, you have uh, you know solidified just different thoughts that I've had since my season has has ended. So you know, um, just wanted to thank you for coming on, and uh, you know, if we can get a hold of you for another podcast, it certainly would be tremendous to have you on again. Yeah, I, I really like helping out guys like you that are just getting started and, 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 you know, and, and, uh, and growing your audience because I was there once too. I, I remember I have, you know, I have quite a lot of Twitter followers and YouTube subscribers now, but I started with zero. So, so, um, you know, there's there, I'm, I've, I'm happy to help you guys. Coach, what I appreciate, and again, thank you, reiterate what Eric just said, just appreciate you coming on. I don't even know if Eric and I necessarily, even are doing this for the the followers, although that's kind of his naturally happened. But yeah, just even just be able to reach out and talk to guys like you with with a different mindset and that bring a different approach. We are very lucky and, and blessed to, that you were able to come on and were willing and gracious enough to come on and join us. So thank you. Yeah. Keep it up, guys. Good work. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do our best. We're going to do our best for sure. Um, Coach, thanks again. And if we can help out in the future, let us know. Will do. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 